It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. As we record, as we get started on episode number 98 of the Show Before the Show podcast, there is baseball being played in Arizona. The Diamondbacks are taking on Grand Canyon University today. And uh, baseball season's here, man. Yeah. yes, Real live baseball season in which professionals play against college teams. It's actually relevant to our interest, too, because Anthony Banda, the the top D-back prospect, was – was pitching in that game right uh was hitting you know mid 90s pretty consistently he only threw one inning so you take that whatever you want but uh yeah threw 11 of his 19 pitches for strikes it feels like good to actually report something new not just like here's what we're doing looking back at 2016 or what our outlook is for 2017 like let's stay in the present and yeah. the present involves baseball and that just feels good to say finally so episode number 98 of the show before the show podcast from milb is here i am tyler mon he is sam dykstra uh and we are uh, we're ready to roll for spring training sam and i are going to be headed down to uh florida and arizona respectively in about two weeks uh, josh and i finally got a place book josh jackson will be down there with me as well uh, in the phoenix area it went down to the wire but we did find a place to stay so that's very exciting it wasn't the horse ranch though no right? it wasn't the horse ranch which is such a bummer we were looking at a yeah, horse ranch tease us with the horse ranch and then not and come it didn't through. work then it was like it was like way out west uh past like goodyear i think which is where if i'm remembering the location of it correctly it's way out west past goodyear which is the uh cincinnati reds and cleveland indians spring training facility which is the the farthest one out by far um and so that would have been a pain because to go all the way to the east side of Phoenix, to go to the Scottsdale facilities or southeast Mesa, Tempe, those places, it would have been like an hour's drive, which I guess, you know, in the context of you being in Florida really isn't anything that I should complain about. But I'm OK with us not being in uh, in the horse ranch. We're going to be in the Coronado neighborhood of Phoenix, which is awesome. And it's actually the place that I've stayed Every trip I've taken now, uh, this will be my third spring training trip, and I've done two Arizona Fall League trips, and I've stayed in that Coronado neighborhood every time. So if you're planning on going to Phoenix, the Phoenix area for spring training, hit up the Coronado neighborhood. Awesome coffee shops, great restaurants. There's some cool theaters and stuff. Uh, It's a very neat little cultural hub, and it's central to basically everything in the Phoenix area. And Sam is headed down to Florida for spring training in two weeks. Yeah. Not even two weeks for you, right? Yeah. I'm just saying if I could – Stayed at like a gator farm, you know, yeah, it would have true. added maybe half an hour like you to like Clearwater or Tampa or something. I would have taken the opportunity. So y'all can say whatever you want about not staying at the horse ranch. <laughs> there would have been some fun stories, but this would have been far deadlier to be <laughs> hanging out on a, to be hanging out on a, uh, on a gator ranch. I was or trying to think of like what the Florida equivalent is. Yeah. And... It's, 
it's probably that, and I probably offended many Floridians by Everything doing that. Everything in Florida is deadlier, obviously, as we all. Oh, know. of course, it's the Australia of the United States. Florida man angrily emails podcast will be the next. Uh, <laughs> you know. No, I actually learned the difference. How you can tell the difference between crocodiles and alligators? Uh, yesterday, my niece is in town, and we went to the Denver Zoo, and in uh, in the tropical discovery exhibit, they had a thing about the differences between crocodiles and alligators. And crocodiles, you can see. Uh, the tooth coming up out of the bottom jaw and the tooth going down out of the top jaw. That's how I'm going to remember that. Those are crocodiles. Alligators, you can only see one. Okay. So now we know. So when you're down there, keep that in mind. I will will definitely keep that in mind. You'll say, I can only see one of these teeth. I'm being eaten by an alligator. (laughs) I was going to say, that determines my method of attack, I guess, or defense, depending on how I'm feeling that day. But uh, yeah, whether it's a gator or a croc, I'll, I'll now know. Thank you for that. Crocs, also terrible shoes. Um, so with that, episode ninety-eight is uh is underway. And before we get started on three strikes for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast, you can find us uh, at milb.com slash podcast as well as on iTunes and the Stitcher app. We are the Minor League Baseball Podcast. We are uh all kinds of pumped about the feedback and the involvement we've gotten from uh listeners throughout our now three seasons as we enter 2017 that is nuts we did get uh one new uh rating last week after we made a a big ratings push on our last episode so if you enjoy the show before the show podcast uh head on to itunes or wherever else you get your podcast give us a rating and a review and a subscription and we would much appreciate it and uh, with that let's get started three strikes for episode number 98 of the show before the show farm system rankings underway We are getting started on the site, ranking all 30 major league organizations in groups of who is best where. Position players are up first, and we rolled out the top 10 uh, on Thursday. We're recording this on Wednesday, but Thursday, top 10 hits the the internet presses. uh, And there is an interesting mix of groups in the top 10 of organizations with the best position player groups in minor league baseball. I don't think there's any surprise at number one. It's the New York Yankees. But, Sam, we were talking uh, about these top organizations there's really some tiers here as it seems even within this upper third of the best in baseball for position players yeah so it it's not exactly you know like one team one team one team one team you know like kind of stacking up on top of each other um you know it it might be a better way to think about these in terms of tiers like like tyler said uh and we would love to kind of present it that way. I think, you know, the Internet loves rankings. That's part of the reason why we do this. It's part of the reason why prospect rankings exist. Your top 100s, your top 30s, you know, your top 20s, your top 101, if you're a baseball prospectus, on and on and on. Uh, the Internet loves ranking things. So this is kind of our way of getting into it. Um, but when when you're looking at this top 10, uh, I'll kind of, you know, go through it 10 through 1 here. As, as Tyler said, the Yankees are number 1, so I guess – you know, there's no suspense there, but number 10 is the New York Mets. Number nine is the Colorado Rockies. Number eight is the Boston Red Sox. Uh, number seven is the Chicago Cubs. In terms of that top 10, that that is what I would say is kind of the bottom tier of the top 10. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Uh, but these are all systems kind of like heavy at the top with the Mets. You're talking about Rosario and Dominic Smith. Uh, the Rockies, you're talking about Brendan Rodgers, Rymel Tapia, who's still a prospect. 
the Red Sox, they have the number one prospect in baseball with Andrew Benintendi and one of the best, if not the best third base prospect in Rafael Devers uh, could really pop this year. Uh, the Cubs have Ian Happ and Eloy Jimenez and Albert Almora and Heimer Candelario are, are uh, ranked lower in the top 100, but they're certainly there as well. So you're looking at some some more top-heavy teams here uh, at 7 through 10, but a lot of them don't have the depth necessarily that in, in some of these cases that they certainly once did. Uh, I think that you could especially say that of the Cubs and Red Sox. Obviously, the Cubs graduated so much talent. Uh, the Red Sox traded a lot of it away to improve the major league roster. Um, so that's that's kind of where the first tier kind of goes. I think the second tier it starts at number six with the Dodgers, uh, the Phillies at number five, and the Pirates at number four. Um, some nice depth in all of these three systems. Uh, I think the Dodgers obviously have a, a really good top guy there in Cody Bellinger. Uh, you know, we've talked about Alex Verdugo and Willie Calhoun in the past. Uh, a little deeper than some of those other tier teams. Uh, I really like Austin Barnes, who I think won't be a prospect you know, beyond the first two months of the season this year. Uh, Phillies won our, our best farm system, Milby, last year for the way they worked together as a system in 2016. Uh, you know most of the names there. It's, you know, J.P. Crawford, Jorge Alfaro, uh, Nick Williams, Dylan Cousins, Roman Quinn, Cornelius Randolph, um, you know, Reese Hoskins, who put together a great year at Double A Reading. Um, a, a lot of them kind of took a, a little bit of their shine away in 2016, particularly in, in terms of Crawford and Williams. Um, but, you know, in that same way, Dylan Cousins looks like a much better prospect than he did two years ago. Uh, Reese Hoskins especially looks that way. Uh, Andrew Knapp was, had a really good 2015 building on that with a stronger or a, a strong 2016. Uh, Pirates, everybody knows Austin Meadows, you know, is, is that next guy in the Pirates outfield. It's probably a reason why Andrew McCutcheon was thrown around so much in trade talks this offseason. Uh, he looks like he could be ready to join Gregor Polanco, Sterling Marte, uh, and you know McCutcheon patrolling that outfield. How they're going to work that out, we'll have to see. He has to overcome some injury concerns, but he's the number ten overall prospect in baseball. Anytime you get somebody like that, you're going to rank pretty high in these farm system rankings. Uh, kind of in the way that Benintendi, almost alone along with Devers, puts the Red Sox into the top ten. Uh, Meadows and Josh Bell, who probably won't be a, a prospect for longer for long either as a Pirates first baseman, uh, kind of pushed the Pirates up here to number four. Uh, that next tier is only two teams. I would say the Braves and the Brewers at uh, kind of, I think they're that next tier as our next two teams uh, just below the Yankees. Uh, the Braves, you know, we talk so much about their middle infield situation. Dansby Swanson going to be their opening day shortstop, you know, knock on wood, based, barring injury or anything uh, catastrophic this spring. Uh, Albies, will probably be either second baseman at some point in 2017, probably looking at the second half, uh, you know, after the injuries to Sean Rodriguez, as you know, they brought in Brandon Phillips kind of to be that stop gap. Uh, you know, when Albies is ready, they'll, they'll certainly give him the time. That's an exciting middle of the infield pair. Uh, but they also have some really young, interesting prospects in Kevin Maiton and Ronald Acuno, Acuna, excuse me. Uh, Travis Demerit, another second baseman. So they they have that top talent and that depth that kind of pushes them here into the top three. Uh, the Brewers, I think they're just a really, really deep system when it comes to this. Uh, they don't have that top talent like a Swanson, a Benintendi, a Meadows type. Uh, but Lewis Brinson is somebody to get really excited about. Uh, you know, they added a really good prospect in Corey Ray from Louisville in last year's first round. 
Uh, Isan Diaz really came on strong in his first full season, added with a Arizona Fall League that everybody seemed to fall in love with him there. They added more with Mauricio Dubon. Uh, Trent Clark is still in that system. I mean, we could keep going. Brett Phillips, who has a Q&A on the site this week. I mean, they, they just seem, you know, the further down you go on the list, I still really like their hitters. Uh, and I think that's where why they fit so highly here. Uh, and then just kind of alone at the top is the New York Yankees in their own tier. Uh, Gleber Torres, you know, one of the best players in the Arizona Fall League last year, uh, played really well in both the Class A Advanced Carolina and Class A Advanced Florida State League uh, at after coming over in that trade from the Cubs uh, for all for all this Chapman, uh, they also added Clint Frazier, who you know will probably be at Triple A Scranton Wilkes-Barre this year. Uh, they have five top fifty prospects beyond Torres and Frazier. They've also got Blake Rutherford at number thirty-seven, uh, Aaron Judge at number forty-five, and Jorge Mateo at number forty-seven. That's just unrivaled in the game right now. You're not going to find position player prospects that stacked. I mean, the, the closest we may have come was the Red Sox before they went through all their trades this year, you know, getting rid of Yohan Mankata, uh, Michael Kopech, and the, the rest. Um, and, you know, now with the trades some of these other teams have made, uh, the Yankees kind of stand alone. So they were an easy pick for position players. Next week, we're coming out with pitchers. Uh, again, we're doing it the same way we did this week. We'll do 30 through 21, then 21, or then 20 through 11, then 10 through 1. And uh, Tyler, you're the one writing that. So that, that should be really exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for uh, the pitcher story. And if you are headed onto the site to read these, um, know which ones you are reading. Because I remember last year, for example, in the pitcher's ones, uh, we would get comments. Or no, for, in the position player's ones, I remember there was a comment of, no mention of Julio Urias. This is ridiculous. He's a top prospect in baseball, pitching, blah, blah, blah. So just know they're broken out by position players then pitchers uh, coming up the week after that, we're going to have the, the best organizations in terms of prospects under the age of 21. And then overall rankings will be uh, the week that we are at spring training. So we'll get a chance to talk about those during our spring training show. But these are, these are a lot of fun. I like the farm system rankings and it's good. It's good debate material. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, I do like the way we break it down too. in that, you know, there's so much that goes into what we're talking about in, in a farm system. It's uh, you know, We'll take that big snapshot at the end here, but we, we want you to look at it in terms of, you know, maybe your system isn't really great in terms of pitchers, but it has the position players. That's that's what you should get excited about. Um, so, you know, I'll, you'll you'll see how this kind of fans out uh, in the weeks to come. But, yeah, if you're a Yankees, uh, Brewers, Braves, you know, Phillies, Pirates pro- prospect fan, uh, it's a good time to get excited. We probably didn't need to be the ones to tell you that. Uh, but this kind of hammers at home, I think. And it isn't just, you know, get excited about these guys because they may play for your team. They could also open up doors, avenues for trades, other moves that can make your team a contender. It's all part of the big puzzle of how to uh, push for the playoffs in Major League Baseball and uh, and what the minor league systems do to feed that at the ultimate uh, aims for big league organizations. Uh, strike two this week, Sam. We are uh, getting close to really the meat of the spring training schedule for uh, – teams organization wide major league guys are there uh camps have opened but the minor league guys everything really gets ramped up in march that being said we got a lot of storylines already early on in these first couple of weeks since players have started reporting in official report days what's your favorite spring training development to this part of april or of, uh, of february i'm already getting ahead of myself looking for games 
Yeah, we, we don't need to say what a spring training development in April is. Hopefully it never gets that long. Um, uh, the one that kind of stuck out to me, you know, he, he's a friend of the podcast. He's one of the more intriguing prospects in the game, from my point of view, uh, is Mets first baseman Dominic Smith. Uh, you know, he's, he's reporting to big league camp this year. I think it's the second year he's done that. Um, but what the intriguing thing is he showed up, you know, he dropped 24 pounds, uh, according to, you know, people reporting on the ground there in St. Lucie. Uh, and, and what's intriguing about that is, you know, he's a, he's a first base prospect. He's a guy who we've always talked about, you know, needs to add power. I mean, he, he hit, you know, only one home run for class A Savannah in 2014, bumped that up to, you know, 14 at double A Binghamton last year, uh, still only 21 years old. So, you know, we've always thought the power is going to come. That means he's going to get stronger. It's, you know, going to play to his game a little bit more. So then he shows up and loses weight and you kind of think, well, you know, that it, I, I don't want to say that's not great. I think it's generally good when people get in better shape. Uh, and, you know, he was a guy who ended last season weighing 260 pounds. So, you know, for a guy who's listed at or was listed at, I think, 195 at the time, that's, you know, 265 is kind of pushing it. Um now he's listed at 250, so you know we're getting a little closer to the truth, I think. Uh, but for him, he talked a lot about you know what that means for conditioning, and you have to go through a full season. So if you're putting on pounds, that means you're getting tired towards the end, and it means you're not going to last. And for a lot of these guys in their development, they talk so much about you know being able to handle a full season of games, you know, being able to play from when you show up in February all the way through to October, or if you're lucky you know, set, uh, November. Um, and for a guy like him who played 130 games last year, you know, he, he, it seemed like he said, you know, this was all about, you know, making sure I can stay within myself. Uh, he particularly talked about his eating habits. Uh, this is my one chance, I think, ever to bring up the idea of wet burritos on the podcast. He, he particularly said he, he cut back on those, which are a SoCal staple where he's from. Uh, if you've ever had one, they sound delicious. I've never had one. I, I had to look up what it means. Uh, apparently, it's it's basically almost exactly as it sounds. It's just a burrito that's incredibly saturated with all the juiciness that a burrito comes with. Um, so he cut back on those this offseason when he went home, uh, cut back on the weight. And now we have to see how that's going to play out. He's probably headed to AAA Las Vegas to start the year. Uh, he, he seems like he could be a guy who could make his major league debut. Now, does, does tone down mean he can still hit for power. I mean, the PCL is going to be a chance for him to prove that. Uh, but you know, the, this brings up just so many questions in terms of Smith. Uh, what is this going to mean for him? Hopefully it means good things, but, uh, yeah, this, this certainly caught my eye. I am going to, um, stick in the national league, the top pitching prospect in baseball as revealed in the new MLB pipeline, top 100 rankings, the eighth overall prospect in baseball is Tyler glass. Now the Pittsburgh pirates and, uh, glass out this season seems very committed to finally developing a really reliable third pitch. Uh, last year, according to fan graphs, he used his fastball in the major league, 63.2% of the time, his curveball 35.2% of the time and his changeup. 1.6% of the time, but apparently this offseason and coming into 2017, he's pretty much focused on 
nailing a changeup, figuring out how to effectively mix a changeup in with repetition throughout his time in the major leagues, not just being a two-pitch guy, but knowing how much that can help the arsenal with the fastball and the curveball looking better with an effective changeup. But these, you know, similarly to Dom Smith and how that's going to affect his profile going forward, these are the storylines that are most fascinating in spring training or the, the bare intricacies of the final stages for guys trying to make it to the major leagues, trying to stick in the major leagues. This is the point of spring training. And these are the most interesting storylines to me. Uh, so for Tyler Glass now, he actually told uh, the Pittsburgh uh, media that he threw the changeup more than he threw the fastball over the offseason. It's a new grip. Uh, it seems like he's kind of starting to figure out that that's the last piece. And when that comes into place, he can be a member of that rotation. If it all falls perfectly in spring training, he could be their number five guy coming out of camp. Um, you know, he could be headed back to triple Indianapolis. We talked to Stan Kyle's last year, triple Indianapolis pitching coach about his development at that level. Still young. He's only 23. He'll be 23 for the majority of this season. Uh, but that is, I love when you see guys get to that stage where they know, okay, I'm at the I'm at the precipice of it now. This is when I need to get myself over the line. Uh, so if, if I'm a Pirates fan, I'm pretty pumped about that because you know Tyler Glasnow can bring the fastball near triple digits. You know the curveball is a plus pitch, maybe a plus-plus type of pitch. To have a third complement to that, you need that to be successful at the major league level. And with the enthusiasm and the commitment with which he has attacked that over the offseason, that's what you need to see from a guy who is going to be such a big piece of this team and this rotation going forward, especially if they want to compete in that division now with a team that's already the class of baseball like the Cubs and so many other talented teams in that division. Yeah, but the thing with with these stories for me is always it sounds great, and the good thing for him is that I think I saw quotes with Josh Harrison saying, you know, I couldn't hit the pitch. I, I knew he was throwing a changeup, and right. I couldn't hit it, um, which is great. I mean, Josh Harrison is definitely a major league hitter. He's an, he's an all-star in the past. Uh, you know, this isn't some kid in double A who's saying that the pitch looks great to me. Uh, this is a guy who knows what he's talking about. Um, but I want to see it play out in games. You know, we're, we're not going to know what it, what it means until we get into grapefruit league action. Uh, and with glass now in particular, I think his stuff has always been good. I mean, adding a third pitch, adding a reliable changeup that he really likes something that can be above average. is great for his development. Uh, but I need to see him throw strikes with it. Uh, I need to see him throw strikes with his fastball. I mean, it, a lot of it comes down to his control. And if, if he has three great pitches, but he can't, put them over the plate with regularity. That's, that's what's going to hold him back as it has, you know, in the past uh, when he's been climbing the ladder in Pittsburgh. So uh, it's a, it's a great thing for now. And you know, that's what we have to go off right now is, is in spring training, what feels good to these guys, what they can kind of tell us. Um, but once it comes into games, you know, that's when I want to kind of see uh, this, these spring training stories turn into to real things. So those, the spring training developments we're keeping an eye on in the very early stages of 2017 Cactus League and Grapefruit League action. Yeah, Tyler Glass now last year in 110 innings and two-thirds for AAA Indianapolis, 133 strikeouts, but 62 walks. Control is his lowest graded tool. Strike three this week, Sam. Sunday, the Oscars. I love the Oscars, uh, which is probably one of the most random things about me. But you came up with this topic, which I'm very excited about. If we were going to have a movie made about a prospect's life or professional story, who are you taking? What's our what's our best picture nominee? Yeah, so when I first thought of this question, just because, like you, I mean, we talked about this 
in the past, probably more privately than we have on the podcast, but we both love movies. I mean, we try to catch as much of the best picture nominees as we can. Uh, I would love to see Manchester by the Sea get as many awards as it can, but I don't know if that's going to happen in the year of La La Land, which is sad and a story for a different podcast. But um, what what I was kind of drawn to is what we don't, you know, the, the stories we don't know necessarily. And I think that right now in the game, the way it's kind of going right now is we don't really know that much about the journey for non-American guys to get here, uh, particularly when it comes to Cuban prospects and Cuban players. Uh, you know, there was a documentary a couple of years ago, you know, this was out of the Dominican Republic, but uh, ball player Pelotero, which told the story of Miguel Sano and what that's like. We've kind of seen that. Uh, but I think more of a light is kind of being shined recently on, you know, the troubles Cuban players have to go through to just, it's not like they just show up and say, I'm ready to play baseball now. Uh, a lot of them have to go through, you know, sometimes illegal activity to get here. And there, there's some troubles now in terms of, uh, you know, human smuggling that, that involves in that. Just, uh, this week, heard- just this week, Leonis Martin, who was uh, formerly a top prospect in the Texas Rangers system, he testified that after he was smuggled from Cuba uh, by a group of human traffickers, he feared for his life. Uh, he was testifying at the trial of Bartolo Hernandez and Julio Estrada, who were facing felony charges in connection to that. But that's the stuff that these guys go through. Right. And, and so what kind of came to mind for me was who is the top Cuban prospect in the game? That's an easy answer. Uh, you know, it's Yola Moncada. And Moncada has his own strange journey to to kind of get here. He left Cuba with a Cuban passport, you know, was allowed to leave the country. And that's when it kind of gets cloudy. Uh, I don't know if the this has ever been answered. I mean, I tried to research this before we came on here. I, I didn't find any answers to, to my satisfaction. Uh, you know, when the Red Sox first signed him for a $31.5 million bonus, of which they had to add $31.5 million because they went over their international cap, uh, you know, the, he had left Cuba, you know, with a Cuban passport um, and, and went to a country or, you know, he left Cuba and then we it kind of gets foggy. I mean, we don't know all the details as much as I would love to, as much as, you know, I kind of researched this um, before we came on the podcast. Uh, I couldn't quite find an answer. So, the story, as it sounds to me, is that you know he left Cuba, went to a South American country for like a couple months, two to three months, never said which country he went to, and then established residency in Guatemala, and then was allowed to kind of try out for scouts and stuff and show off who he was. Everybody knew he was uber talented. You know, he had been in international tournaments uh, in the Netherlands and other places, so everybody knew who he was. But he had to kind of go through these pack channels, and it gets foggy there. And also his kid, who has actually kind of been in the news lately because, you know, he, he put together a monstrous bat flip. Um, you know, the, the woman he had that child with is involved in that. Somehow, you know, she was involved in an agency that helped Cuban players get settled in the U.S. Uh, she claims they were only involved romantically. Um, but that's there's there's just so, so much intrigue that would go into an intriguing movie here. There's romance. You know, there's international law. There's you know, crossing borders, there's all this stuff, there's baseball. Um, and, and maybe it would work better as a documentary just because there's so much that needs to be kind of peeled and uncovered. Um, and, you know, that's our job as journalists. And I hope someday, whether it's one of us or somebody else gets to kind of tell the story of exactly how Yohan Mankata got here. Um, but, you know, going from that to becoming a top prospect in baseball, 
what is that journey like? What is it like? You know, even though he's made the majors, he hasn't stuck there yet. But even then, that doesn't need to be the end of the story uh, to, for him to be an all-star. Just what is that journey like? So I would love to see that turned into a story, uh, kind of like Pelotero, like I said before. Uh, whether it's a documentary, where it, whether it's like kind of a fictionalized version, that that would just be kind of an amazing story. Um, so that that's where I'm. I, I would kind of lean. And I, if there's anybody out there who's a screenwriter and would love to work that up, that would be awesome. It really honestly surprises me that we haven't seen something like that, um, especially as it relates to Cuban ball players. Like you said, I mean, there was the Miguel Sano documentary. Um, there was a movie made several years ago now uh, named Sugar, which was a, a fictional story about a Dominican ball player actually in the Midwest League. Um, we'll talk with Willie Adamas of the Tampa Bay Rays here in a little bit about his time in the Midwest League. Um, and that was really interesting about the the struggles that those guys go through um, in getting acclimatized to playing pro ball in the United States, but the fact that nothing on a large scale has really been done about the Cuban ball players story is really interesting to me. I mean, from, you know, like you said, Seattle Mariners uh, with Leonis Martin, Yasiel Puig, Los Angeles Dodgers, all these stories that have been, you know, Aroldis Chapman was an interesting story. The way he defected uh, at a tournament in Europe, just walked out of a team hotel, ended up establishing residency in Andorra, I believe, because Cuban players have to establish residency in a third party country in order to sign with a major league organization with the exception really of the third for 30 uh, ESPN documentary on the Hernandez brothers, Orlando and Levon Hernandez brothers in exile. There really hasn't been anything about Cuban players on a large scale, which fascinates me, but uh, maybe that'll happen sometime soon. And if you are like Sam said, uh, somebody in the, in the filmmaking business, if you're a screenwriter and you need two people to, to be your <laughs> advisors on trips to Cuba, I'm sure Sam and I could carve out some time for that. Oh yeah, no, we can, we can make we it can script supervise. We can we can be we can do all that key grips. We can yeah. be normal grips or we can do bus we can boys. Be grips. Yeah, <laughs> whatever it is, we can, we can do the snapping thing with the. Yeah. I don't even know what that's called, but yeah, we can action. do that. Whap. Yeah, I don't know what that <laughs> thing is called either. The action block. Um, I got a couple of guys. Uh, one of them is not technically a prospect, but falls somewhat in line of the same stories uh, as. Sam was discussing a second ago, um, and I guess debatable. He hasn't made the big leagues yet, um, but not really a prospect age-wise. We'll talk about him in a second. One guy who I think would be really interesting to know the entirety of his story is Brady Aiken. Um, Aiken became the third number one pick in draft history to not sign when he was taken by the Astros in 2014. It looked like he and the Astros had come to a contract. Then there was a physical after the draft that threw everything into question. Concerns about his elbow. Houston cut his signing bonus offer from six and a half million to five million dollars. He ended up not signing. Then he went to IMG Academy's facility in Bradenton, Florida, blew out his elbow almost immediately and had Tommy John surgery, went back into the draft in 2015, still went in the first round, 17th pick to the Cleveland Indians. But we really haven't seen a lot out of Brady Aiken so far. 14 appearances last year, 13 starts between two levels, uh, the Arizona League, the lowest level of pro ball uh, at rookie level uh, in the AZL. He went 0-4 with a 7.13 ERA and nine appearances. But then he jumped up. Pitching in the New York Penn League, 2-1, and one, a 4.43 ERA, and five outings. Brady Aiken is still only 20 years old. But that whole story 
when he came out of high school, was taken first overall, the drama that ensued, uh, the insinuations of wrongdoing by one side versus the other, all that kind of stuff. And then for him to go off, go back to school to a postgraduate facility and then blow out his elbow and then come back as a first round pick again. Brady Aiken's story has fascinated me. Um, the other guy who I think his life story, I if he makes the major leagues. I believe it will eventually be made into a movie is gift and Gope, the Pittsburgh pirates uh, gift is 27 years old now, but a middle infielder who reached triple a last season with the Indianapolis Indians. If he makes the big leagues, he will be the first African born major leaguer in baseball history. And Gift's story is fascinating. He uh, was born to a mother who worked for a baseball club in his native South Africa. She actually lived in the clubhouse with Gift and his little brother, uh, who has also since signed a contract with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Gift's mom has since passed away, uh, but there have been some really great long-form stories written about Gift and now written about his brother as well that you can find. Sports Illustrated did one when he was in the very low levels of the minor leagues. But Gift's story is fascinating. I mean, the way he was discovered by the Pirates when he was signed and brought over, um, being that far away from home, being a trailblazer for an entire continent that in areas has embraced baseball to a certain degree but hasn't had a star to gravitate toward. I mean, we've had players from Europe. We've had players from Australia. We have players from, you know, even non-traditional baseball countries in Latin America. Brazil has produced a lot of players in recent seasons. But the entire continent of Africa, not just the country of South Africa, where Gift is from, but the entire continent of Africa, he could be that first guy. And that story is as unique as any story in baseball. So, no, maybe not still a prospect the way he once was in terms of age and where he is on track in his minor league career, but he's a 40 man guy. He's a versatile infielder needs the bat to pick up a little bit, but saw time at triple a last year. This could be the year for gift and go I think he'd be fascinating to learn more about. That would be fantastic. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, it, we don't have that many guys who represent an entire continent and we don't mean to say that he has that on his shoulders. Right. But, right. Uh, it's just, we've gotten to the point in our kind of history where so many firsts have already happened. Uh, when I feel like we're kind of grasping for the next first um, and to have something like this happen so organically uh, and, and, you know, on merit, you know, he has certainly put in his dues. Uh, like you said, the bat still needs to kind of come along, but he is on a 40-man roster um, that is not just for the story. That is on a team that is trying to contend and is not in a place to just give away roster spots. Um, you know, when he makes that first, major league debut and you know everybody's interviewing him in pit in pittsburgh about what that's about and it starts to get uh more mainstream coverage i i wouldn't be surprised at all if we see that movie eventually so oscar's coming up on sunday and for those of you who are uh screenwriters and want to give me and sam jobs uh go for it It'd be really cool uh so that's strike three for this week's edition episode number 98 of the show before the show and coming up we're gonna head to the tampa bay Rays system where we will catch up with the top rated prospect in that organization and mlb.com's number 21 overall prospect shortstop and 2016 southern league all-star willie adamas joins the show next The Tampa Bay Rays organization is where we find this week's guest for the Minor League Baseball podcast, the show before the show. Top-rated prospect in the Rays system, Willie Adamas, joins us from Florida. Willie, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, man. Thank you. I'm great. 
know, it's good so to talk good. to you. This is uh, obviously a, a very exciting time of year for everybody, but it's got to be a really exciting time of year for you. Last year, really good season at AA Montgomery. Uh, you're 21 years old coming into this year. There are very big things on the horizon for you. I mean, at this point right now in February, how exciting of a time is this for you to, to know, you know, this could be AAA, this could be your big league debut season. How much fun are you having right now getting this underway? It's excited to be here, man. My first big league camp in spring training, you know. It it's been it's been great. I've been working working out with Miller a lot, talking a lot, you know, just uh getting some some advice that they given to me. It's been it's been a lot of fun, you know. This year this upcoming year it's gonna be I think it's gonna be great. Willie, what's the biggest difference so far in Major League Camp versus what you've been through in minor league camps in seasons past? Because for, for people who are unfamiliar, you know, the your report dates, your workouts, the the exposure to the coaching staff that you get is all different. What's been the biggest difference for you in Major League Camp? I mean, uh, it's like, for me, the difference, like, they, they work a lot and the, the little things, you know, like, fundamental stuff and all that and when they, they when they are catching ground balls they don't miss ground balls you know they have fun every day and the coaches and staff they're really good they always they always got their eyes on you and telling you what you have to do you know I think I think it's they, they, they're pretty good and Willie how did you kind of approach uh, you know this spring training uh, what, what were you working on in the off season? I mean, I, we all know the Rays, you know, added you to the forty man, uh, you know, back in November. So that that would seems like a pretty big career milestone. But in terms of you know being close to the majors and that kind of thing, how do you approach this spring training? I've been I've been I've been working a lot on my defense, you know, so because I I have to get better on, on my defense, so that way that way I can get quicker to the big leagues and. And this past January, I, I was working out with Chris Archer in in St. Pete, and it was fun, man. I mean, it was a great great experience to be with Archer working out. He was showing me up like how the big league is working, and I think it it, it was fun, man. How, how did that come about? What did how did you end up working with Archer? Did he reach out to you? Did you reach out to him? How did that yeah, kind of no, partnership he, work? He reached out. He, he he reached out to me in the off season. He said he told me that he wanted me to come earlier this this year, so that way he can show me around and he can he can you know like kind of like teach me how how the, the the big leaguers working working out. So what was the biggest thing you learned from him? You know d- during those workouts. Uh, like how hard how hard he he work and how concentrate is is. Is he do, during the, the the workouts and his personality, man, is unbelievable. That's one. That's a, the that's the the most thing that 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 I got from him. Like his personality, I I love that man from him. 
Willie's coming off a huge year last year with Double M Montgomery, uh, an MILB.com organization all-star, a postseason all-star, a midseason all-star selection in the Southern League, and a futures game selection as well. Um, and Willie, this is uh, right now, I mean, you kind of get to focus on your time with the Rays, your future with the Rays, uh, and being a guy that an organization is very excited about. But this time a few years ago, you were a guy getting adjusted to a new organization, signed by the Tigers. Uh, you make the jump to, to the States and to professional ball in the U.S. at 18 years old. And then in your first season in the U.S., you get traded at the deadline, part of the David Price deal back in 2014. What was that like? I mean, you're here for the first time playing. You're in West Michigan. You get to stay in the Midwest League, which is nice. But 18 years old, you get traded. You're in a new organization. Take us back to that. What was that like for you? Um, I wasn't expecting that. Like, I wasn't thinking about that at all because – you know, it was my first year here, and I was like, "Oh no, I just gotta play baseball. I just gotta do what I got, what I have to do." And when they when they told me that, when they called me that I got trade, I was like, "What?" I got surprised because I wasn't expecting that, and I started crying because, you know, like I, I I spent like few years with the Tigers over there in Dominican, and I had I had like my guys over there in in the Tigers, so I was like, "Oh man, I don't know anybody in the in the race." Now I got to make uh, like my new guys and I got to make my family over there and and you know how it is but then like when I got here uh, like one of my buddies from Dominican he was here so that helped me and uh, then like when the 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 time it was passing away I was like okay I feel good here and I I start to know like everybody and I feel good now when you look back on that season, Willie, coming over, you know, it's not uh, a common thing for an organization to jump guys over the low levels, especially when bringing them over from the Dominican Republic. But you played in the DSL in 2013, and then you skip the Gulf Coast League, you skip the New York Penn League and the Connecticut Tigers, and you go right to Midwest League. At 18 years old, to be in full season ball, what was the toughest thing about that that adjustment going from playing, you know, 60 games in the DSL the summer before to 125 games in 2014? It was tough, man. It was hard because, you know, in in the Middle West League, it's cold. And, I, I you know, i never been in, in, the, in the weather like that. So <laughs> in the beginning of the season, I was like, oh, my God, what, what is this? So, <laughs> so it, you know, I, I, had, I had to make that adjustment and learn about, like, you got to play no matter what, like, no matter wh- where you're at and no matter what the weather is and, and by that time, I didn't know that because, you know, I was so young that I was just thinking about, like, I have to do good because they don't know me. And this is my first year here. I got to I got to impress everybody. But in the beginning of the season, but like then I had like two, two, two Latin guys in, in the team that they was helping me and they was telling me like they was giving me an advices. And I was like, oh, OK, OK. And I started learning from them. And, and Willie, we could even jump further back than that because we don't get a chance to have many guys, you know, who who don't go through the draft process. And obviously, coming out of the Dominican Republic, you know, you're you were signed by the Tigers before that for I think it was four hundred twenty thousand um, dollars. What was that process like? You know, being a young teenager, having these teams kind of come after you, throwing signing bonuses at you, whatever. What was that process like? Of, and, and why did you end up choosing the Tigers in the first place when you were first going through that? Uh, I mean, 
that process is hard too because you you work every day and you have no day off because because you know you just want to get signed and I choose the tiger because I, I like I felt comfortable with that I've been I, I was like going to the academy of the tigers over there like maybe like every three months I was going to the to the academy so like I knew everybody over there so I was like oh I feel good here so I can I can choose this team and I can I can just do what I have to do here and then see what happens and I choose the Tigers and I, they they help me and they 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 teach me a lot and you know you know like in Dominican for for the young guys like that they they just want to get signed bro like it's hard but it's fun at the same time yeah, I, I can only imagine. Um, so kind of we'll flash forward back to, to the present. Um, one thing that kind of stood, stood out to me about your 2016 season uh, was the way you kind of put on some power. You hit 11 home runs last year. Uh, you hit 31 doubles. What kind of went into your, your power jump last year? And I guess to tie it back to the previous thing, how are you kind of a different player now than you were when, when the Tigers first signed you in the Dominican? I think because I I got more experience now, so I I got like my approach in the, my approach in the home plate is better now. I, I'm choosing like I'm taking better pitches now, and I'm just like swinging the ball, swinging the bat, and don't thinking in anything when I'm in the home plate. So I think that helped me last year, and my my manager, oh my God, Brady Wheeler, I love him. He he was all 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 the time like in like with his eyes on me and telling me when I was doing something bad, he always took me to the, to the cage with the hitting coach and the man. And they always were like helping me every day. So I think that, that, that was the, the point that, that I, why I had that season last year. Willie last year led the Southern League with 74 walks and ranked third in the league with 31 doubles. And uh, like I said, all those Southern League accolades and all-star honors and MILB.com organization, all-star honors and stuff. And and that's all fun. Uh, but there's one thing that I really wanted to ask you about, Willie, because, again, this is not a topic that we get to discuss much. But you went back, played a little bit in the Dominican Winter League this year uh, for the Tigres del Lice. And people here I don't think really get what the Dominican Winter League is like or what the Venezuelan Winter League is like or the Mexican Pacific Winter League because it's such a different atmosphere of baseball. Um, and I know for you guys growing up, that's the dream in a lot of cases is to play in those leagues, to play in front of those big sellout crowds, loud, boisterous crowds, all nine innings. To go back, you played uh, 10 games this year for Tigres. What was that experience like for you? It was great, man. I mean, even even I didn't, I didn't do good over there, but it was fun. Because you know you you play in front of your people and everybody that knows you and it it's just you're just excited to play there because like you like you say it's like the dream for us in Dominica like you want to play in front of your people but like the league over there is hard it's because the the, the people over there they they you know they got experience they old and it's competitive and. Like I say, I, I just, I just had fun over there, and I think it was great. Because we also we we win the championship, and I'm getting a ring. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was going to cap that off. I mean, that's obviously got to be a pretty fun way uh, to wrap things up. And the crazy thing is, too, that's a nine-game series, uh, and it's uh, Lise and Aguilas in that series. Lise ends up winning five games to four games. The playoffs in the Dominican Winter League start December 27th, and they ended January 28th. It's a whole month of playoffs. I mean, to be a part of that, to be you know on a roster and go through a run like that, what was? It? Did you get a chance to be there for the championship game, the, that final matchup on January twenty eighth? No, 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 because I was here already. So, but were you watching it? Like, was, did, were you on the online? Did you get a chance to follow it at all? Of course, man. I, ha- I had to watch <laughs> that game. Of course, I had to. so are you just in a hotel room in St. Pete, going nuts, screaming like a crazy person watching that game? <laughs> of course, man. I was, cra- <laughs> I was getting crazy, man, because you know it's fun to see your team winning. It's always fun. A 5-4 series win in nine games. And, Willie, one of the things that uh, that everybody I know in the Rays organization loves about you and, and a big scouting report thing about you is character, uh, personality, and your leadership qualities. And a huge thing with that is the fact that you took to English very quickly and are fluent in English. What was that for, you know, being a guy who you're still so young – and having to learn that at such a young age while also playing baseball alongside that, it's not like you get a chance to just go to school and study for a full semester or whatever it is to learn a language. How did that come about for you? And how do you think that's helped you get acclimated to, you know, not only being in the Rays organization, but the trade and coming over to the Midwest league at 18, how has that whole thing fallen together for you? I mean, to learn English for me is very important because, you know, I'm here in the, in the United States, so, they speak English, so I have to learn English here. So when I was in the Tigers in the Middle West season, I was like, I, I didn't know English at that time, and I was like, I was telling to my, I was telling to to my teammates that helped me. Like every time that I that I said something wrong, like, hey, correct me. If help me, tell me what I what I like the how I I have to say the word, and that that thing helped me a lot. Because now I can I can communicate with my teammates here and you know like do some interview like like that like like what we're doing right now. It was hard. It was hard, but it's fun. And, and my personality, I'm just like I'm just trying to be a good guy. You know, I'm just trying to be a, a good, good teammate and help help the young guys, the young the youngest guy, and. Trying to be a good person. That that that's it. All right. Well, I I've just got two more quick, and then we'll kind of wrap it up there. But um, you know, you brought up before how you've been working on you know your defense and uh, you know at shortstop. That's obviously one of the the tougher positions defensively. Um, what kind of work do you think you need to kind of put in, and what have the Rays talked to you about in terms of sticking at shortstop and what you need to do to kind of take your game to the next level there? I mean, they they just they just been telling me that I just I just have to make like the routine plays and I'm be I've, I've been working on that trying to make every routine play in the practice trying to make every throw in the chest to the first base and because <clears throat> that that was my my uh, that's my 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 disability because I got I got I I have to get better on that. My accuracy is not good throwing to first base, so I've been working a lot on that. 
And, and uh, just kind of ended on this, you know, this now that you are part of the 40 man, uh, you know, you are going to be part of the major league conversation. That's why you're there, you know, at major league camp in spring training. Uh, Tampa Bay kind of has an interesting situation at short with just so many guys who have played there in the past between Matt Duffy, Brad Miller, Nick Franklin, Beckham, yourself. Uh, you go down the list. How is it kind of playing, you know, in that position in camp? And how do you kind of see yourself fitting into that situation in the organization? I mean, just like doing what I have to do to be there, you know, just trying to do my best and let them do their job, you know. And whenever they need me, they're going to call me and I'm going to be there. So I'm just trying to be com competitive and trying to have fun with those guys and learn from them and trying to make myself like best every day, you know, better and better. Willie Adamas, the top-ranked prospect in the Tampa Bay Rays organization, is on Twitter. He is at WillieA02, and uh, as he said, one of the good guys, trying to be a good person. We need more people like that in the world, Willie, and this has been a ton of fun for us to get a chance to talk to you, and uh, congrats on all success last season in Montgomery, and this year, Durham or Tampa, wherever it takes you, we'll be watching, and best of luck uh, the rest of spring training and into the season. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Episode number 98, rolling along on the Minor League Baseball Podcast, the show before the show. Big thanks to Willie Adamas of the Tampa Bay Rays for joining us, and uh, we move along to our third segment of the day, and one Benjamin Hill who joins us in New York City. Hi, Ben. Hi, Tyler. We're, we're so close to really rolling out everything for the 2017 season. Promo schedules continue to be uh, coming out from teams coast to coast, but we're, we're at the end of one phase of the minor league offseason. That's the rebrand phase. Uh, the Lowell Spinners, of course, putting out their new logos, uh, so not just rebranding but refreshing and, you know, the re-re-re as we talk about uh, for uh, new looks over the offseason. So it looks like it's all done, and you've got it all compiled coming up on the site. Yeah, I mean, these are things we've talked about uh, throughout the offseason, um, you know, as they occur, these new logos and or completely new identities. But since there will no be no more primary logos this offseason, no new team names announced, uh, I would, I've gone ahead and written an article that uh, is just a recap of all the changes we saw. And uh, it's the third year in a row I've done that. So I think it's a, a nice, uh, nice way to do something pithy uh, but informative. And uh, as we've learned – People love reading about new team names and logos, so I'm just here to give the people what they want. So when you look at the 2016-2017 offseason, there seems to be one common theme, which has been a common theme throughout uh, really the last handful or more years of minor league baseball. But Brandios dominates uh, the scene. There was only, I think, one or two rebrands or redesigns this year that was not Brandios, um, which we've discussed at times before that you would assume at some point there's going to be a swing in the other direction where teams are going to start saying, okay, everybody has that look, and now we want something different. But what do you think it says? I mean, obviously the quality of work by Brandios is outstanding, and that is what everybody gravitates towards still. Well, I think this is the year – I certainly don't want to say this is the year Brandios peaked because Jason and Casey, the guys behind that company, are ambitious fellows and uh, have their fingers in a lot of pie, so to speak. So I would, I would never count them out in terms of their, their growth as a company. But it might be the year Brandios peaked in terms of uh, yeah percentage of uh, rebranding a new logo that they were involved with. Uh, the first six new logos and or total rebrandings of this offseason were all Brandios. 
and those six were the ones that I think got the most publicity, both positive and negative. Um, so uh, I think there were, there were nine teams I'm including in my article. The first six were brandiose, and it wasn't until Memphis where Studio Simon, who has done work with minor league teams for years, uh, finally you know, was thrown into the mix. Um, the Bowie's Creek Astros, you know, are just a temporary team for two years before they moved to Fayetteville. They just basically repurposed the Houston Astros logo slash the Greenville Astros logo. So that doesn't really qualify as new. And then the Lowell Spinners worked with FS Design, a company you don't see in minor league baseball very often, but Dave Heller, uh, the owner of the Spinners, had worked with FS Design previously with Quad Cities, uh, another team in which he owns. But we really saw uh, a lot of Brandios this year, and uh, as we have in years past. But like last year, there weren't any pre-existing franchises who changed their names and logos. Um, you know, we had the Hartford Yard Goats play their first season, but that was a new team. We had Columbia Fireflies play their first season, but that was a new team. Um, this year, though, we had three teams, three pre-existing franchises change their names, overhaul their identity totally while still while still staying in the same market. And those were all Brandios entities. And I think that's uh, what Brandios is best known for is in some cases not just doing the logo but working with a new team or a pre-existing team that completely wants to have something new and very now and irreverent. So we saw the New Orleans Zephyrs become the New Orleans Baby Cakes. We saw – the uh, Binghamton Mets become the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. And we saw, what is the third team? I wrote Fire about it No, the third pre existing, the Jacksonville oh, Suns Jacksonville. became the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. Uh, those are all Brandios entities. And then we had uh, a new teams in the form of the Central Florida Fire Frogs, a Brandios entity, as well as, man, I just wrote this article and now I'm, uh, <laughs> and now I'm blanking. Um, but there's a lot. That's all I'm trying to say. The Downies Wood Ducks. The Downey Swood Ducks. Thank you very much, Tyler. When there's one set of footprints in the sand, it is then that you carried me. <laughs> well, so it, it sounds like, to me, this, it's not so much that Brandios is kind of taking over the industry. This just seems to be like the, the right moment for that company. Does, is that what it kind of feels like to you? Is, is, if there was a year in which Brandios was going to take over, it was just kind of this year, this, this might not be something that carries forward? Well, I think it's certainly going to carry forward. Whether it's proportionally as strong as it's been this year remains to be seen. I know that Brandios, their approach is not one size fits all. I think there are teams throughout minor league baseball who you know, don't have anything against them, but you know prefer to maybe do something more conservative. I think there is the perception in the industry that you work with Brandios if you want to do something radical. That's not necessarily the, the case. Uh, we could talk to them, and I've talked to them plenty, um, you know, where they could point to things they've done that were just more, you know, quote unquote, traditional or, or uh, you know, kind of just variations on a pre-existing theme. But what they're known best for, and what they get the most attention for, and what they've done more often than not in recent years is the total overhaul. And this has been <clears throat> their moment for that. But there are some markets that I just don't think, for whatever reason, don't want to go in that direction. I think this year you saw Lowell and Memphis not go with grandiose. And it's no coincidence that those are two teams that didn't change their name and were looking for something new but also a little more you know, comparatively conservative. And uh, I don't think it's a total coincidence that those teams that want something a little more muted but still new and still something that's regional and specific to them might not go with Brandios. But as I said, it's, one size, it's not one size fits all. And, and you know, these companies are adaptable, adaptable and like any business the clients needs. So uh, you know, I don't want to – Make overgeneralize anything, but certainly there are consistent themes in Brandios's work uh, that we've seen 
seen for for a long time, and that really came to a head this year, and uh, really got the most attention of any rebranding off season I've ever seen in terms of the amount of people talking about it and uh, getting outraged and getting excited about the Caps or wherever you fall into uh, the minor league fan mix. Well, just in terms of besides you know Brady Ose, is what else has kind of stood out to you now that you've had kind of a chance to step back and be, beyond just the the flash. You know, here's a new logo. Let's all dissect it and that kind of thing. Now that the the wool or the dye in the wool has kind of been cast for a while now on a lot of these things. Uh, what else besides Brandios has kind of stood out to you? Well, I just think having done this a number of years, that you see about the same number of teams every year do something, whether it's a complete overhaul, whether it's a new team playing a new market, whether it's um, just a new logo. You're going to see probably between eight and a dozen teams a year do it, and there's 160 teams. And if you've been doing eight and 12 do it a year, and that's been pretty consistent in recent years, then you kind of look at it as a big picture and you see that's the sort of rate that the industry turns over uh, within itself. You know, if, say, it's 10 teams, that's, you know, 10 one sixtieth. I can't do the math. That's uh, what percentage is that of minor league baseball? 10 one sixtieth. 10 out of one sixty. <laughs> so that's one sixteenth. So that's like 6%. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. See, my mind isn't working all that well today. So, um I see. I think we're seeing the industry uh, kind of turn itself over in terms of uh, identities and logos at a rate of about uh, one sixteenth a year, which I think is pretty remarkable. <laughs> because, uh, one sixteenth is obviously a small minority, but um, that's a pretty sizable subset of the industry to be trying something new every year. And I think it speaks to what teams are going for. Uh, they want regional identities. They want to make a splash in their market. And uh, the best way to do that is to have a new look, to have new merchandise you can sell, to have new areas of the ballpark that you can brand and theme around new identities. And, uh, you know, that's just the, the, the nature, the name of the game, the nature of the beast, and the, however you want to put it. Yeah, just imagine two major league teams, one or two major league teams a year changing their logos, and we just go through that. Right. Like every 15 years, it would just be an entirely new right, exactly. outlook on the, 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 the rate of change we're seeing in the minors would be if two major league teams did it per year, and uh, that would be pretty significant. Uh, but the, tradi- uh, the majors are more, uh, you know, tradition-bound and I think a lot more cautious in changing their look, and, and for good reason. Um, in a lot of cases, but I think the minors have a little, little more leeway to just have fun. And I think people who are perceptive minor league fans see that, even if they don't like something. I think there's a general attitude of relax. It's minor league baseball. Like it's supposed to be about fun, and uh, I think that's a big part of it. You might not like everything, but I think it's crucial to understand this is supposed to be about fun, and teams are going to do what they can to really convey something fun. And it doesn't have to have the tradition and seriousness of, you know, the St. Louis Cardinals. It can just be the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. Why not? You're a minor league team and you're going to have fun. So that's up on the site right now. And uh, as Ben noted, the the new logos and identities are probably done for 2017. That does not necessarily mean that uh, new fun stuff is done. I know the Nashville Sounds just unveiled an alternate red jersey they'll be wearing on Fridays. So there's always kind of those fun last little droplets before the season starts of new and exciting stuff for, uh, you know, the nerds like us who are fired up about logos and uniforms and all that kind of stuff. So that is up on the site right now. Over on the blog, Ben's got a really cool story about the Lexington Legends and their stash tank uh initiative which is one of the really cool community involved projects in minor league baseball stash tank it's kind of based on the idea of shark tank it targets youth in the lexington community ben tell us about this it's a really really neat program it is a cool program and i wrote about it on the blog bensbiz.mlblogs.com of course um it's not the kind of thing that will go viral that that, that twitter will be sharing constantly because to really understand what the legends are doing you have to you know look into it and, and read about it the internet doesn't like to read 
So regardless, there are people who like to read. I shouldn't come across <laughs> yeah. as so cynical. I'm sorry. I'm talking about something positive right now, and that's what I want to highlight. So Stash Tank, which Lexington has done each of the last two seasons, is modeled after the reality show Shark Tank. But they work with um, middle and high schools in the, in the area. So this year they worked with three different schools with teams from each school, and each team had a different category to work on. Um, teams from one school worked on opening day festivities and hype videos to be played you know, on opening day, obviously. Another t- uh, teams in other schools um, worked on new concession items, and teams in another school uh, worked on a giveaway item. So these teams within each school compete one against another and pitch their ideas to local business leaders um, in the style of the show Shark Tank. And then one team is chosen as the winner and actually has their idea implemented at the ballpark. So the team that that um, had the winning concession item from Crawford Middle School, their bacon wrapped chicken bites will actually be available at the ballpark this mm. season, and uh, yeah, they look they look pretty tasty. Um, one of the other schools, um, you know, that they, they pitched giveaway items, the winning team has a, uh, and I've never seen this before, fruit infused water bottles, and I don't know exactly how that works. Um, if there's literal fruit inside, which I don't think, but we're gonna have to look into that a little. Is more. it like filtered through a watermelon? You know, like I, I don't know what infused means. I would love to know how it works. I remember flavored water was all the craze. Well, what, 10, 15 years ago, something like that. So this is yeah. The so next wave of that. right now we're fruit confused. But April sixteenth, this winning uh, giveaway will be given away by the Lexington Legends. It was the William Wells Brown Elementary School. One of their winning teams from that school pitched the idea. So big picture, you're working with kids in the local community. And you're giving them real-world experience, real-world sports business experience to not just have pie-in-the-sky crazy ideas but to actually have to work towards something that's grounded in reality with the knowledge that the team might actually do it. And I think it's a great idea. Uh, the legends have put a lot of work into this and making it work because it, it is kind of logistically heavy. Um, that's why it's something that doesn't convey very well in a, in a tweet. Um, but when you look at what they're doing and um, – the amount of uh, students they're working with, the amount of people they're impacting, and the pure satisfaction of uh, seeing these ideas implemented at the ballpark in front of thousands of people. Um, you know, it's hard to think of things you might do in school, elementary school, middle school, high school, where you have that kind of audience and uh, where you see the fruits of your labor or the fruit-infused fruits of your labor, <laughs> whatever, um, you know, executed in such a grand fashion. I think it's a great idea. And a lot of the things I do write about on my blog, I do go for the viral stuff when I can. But I also know that people who work in minor league baseball read it as well. And I try to focus on things like what the legends are doing that hopefully might have an impact with another team. You know, right now it's close to opening day, but they say, hey, let, let's file that one away. I think we might want to uh, look into our variation of that idea. And, and that's what minor league baseball is all about. Also on the blog, Ben's got some return to the road posts up, which is uh, one of the cool things that Ben gets a chance to do over the offseason is dive into some of the non-baseball-related things that he did on road trips. Uh, so there's some stuff from the Carolinas there. Um, Durham is awesome. I loved your post on Durham. I got to go there uh, actually each of the last two years, and it seems like you and I had much the same reaction of like, man, I could totally live here. This place is sweet. Yeah, absolutely. These posts I'm doing now are just sort of the odds and sods from my previous season's trips as I prepare the itineraries for this coming season. Um, So it's all non-ballpark stuff, but I I do my best just to share some leftover photos I have, the record stores I go to, just the city explorations as a means to hopefully convey just a little slice of what it's like to be in that city outside of the ballpark. Uh, Durham, absolutely. Uh, You know, I look at New York City as my uh, wife 
I suppose. And But there's all these mistresses I have on the road. I mean, city mistresses. And Durham was one of them. I was like, Durham, I could live in you. No problem. It's a beautiful place. There and are some... I could hear New York City's voice. <laughs> Calling you back furiously. Wait a minute. Yeah, what like, did you just say to Durham? Like, yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's generally how I feel. Like, you're not going anywhere, and you know it. Come back here. And uh, that's the way it is. But I, I do love to go to these cities. And Durham is interesting. Um, obviously, it, it rose to prominence in the turn of the 20th century with tobacco and they've completely repurposed the tobacco factories and storage areas and um, really that city has a lot of arts and culture and a lot of creative uses of old industrial space and just a sense of vibrancy and um, creativity that, that really appealed to me and it's just a great city to walk around in uh, I think they are getting a lot of transplants moving to that area um, because it seems like if you're looking for a cool place to live Durham might be on your list so I'm a fan of Durham, so I got to write about that a little bit. Got to write about stopping it south of the border uh, later on in that trip. You know, the um, the border in question is uh, the North and South Carolina border, so this place is in South Carolina. But if you know south of the border, you see these kind of uh, vaguely racist billboards for miles and miles and so miles. Something you never forget. With, with Pedro, the Mexican mas- mascot. And, um, of course, I had to stop, and there's just tacky souvenirs galore and a viewing tower that has a sombrero at the top of it. It's America. And I like to write about such things and uh, the things I see on the road. So if you're into uh, American road trip minutia, uh, please check it out. And please know that I'll have my schedules for 2017 coming up later this month. I'll set a date in the very near future, but sometime around, let's say March 22nd, March 23rd, I'll review the 2017 itineraries and uh, eager to unveil that. Talk to everyone about uh, what I can focus on at my 2017 trips and, uh, you know, full speed ahead into a new season. All that coming up to the blog, coming up to the site, and more. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. You can check out the rebranding story at milb.com as well. And uh, Ben, looking forward to more stuff uh, from the roads so we can all plan out things to do away from the ballpark when we get to make road trips of our own. And we'll talk to you next week. Yes, please do. Talk to me next week. Benjamin Hill once more on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. And again, you can follow Willie Adamas of the Tampa Bay Rays on Twitter. He is at Willie with two L's. Willie A02. And Willie Adamas, it was really cool to get a chance to talk to him because, as we noted several times in the interview, we don't get to have those conversations a lot uh, because for so many of the Latin American players who come over, they're either just learning English or they don't yet know English or even in a lot of contexts, uh, the guys who do know English aren't necessarily as comfortable doing long length interviews like we do for the podcast. Um, and so to get a chance to talk to somebody like Willie, who has been through so much already in his professional life, and he's still only 21 and he's on the, on the brink of really big things. That's awesome because this game is so diverse and we don't want to tell you just the stories of the guys that were first round picks, just the stories of the guys who came out of big colleges. We want to be able to give you everybody's stories. And Willie is like a lot of guys. I mean, when he was signed, Sam gave the number $420,000 when he signed. That's not blown out of the water type of money for an international prospect. Willie was kind of an unknown when he was traded to the Rays, and he has made himself into a top prospect. Really cool to get a chance to hear from him. 
Yeah, I mean, we we try to do this in the past. We've done it with Ahmed Rosario. Um, I remember, I think Wilson Contreras was the first native Spanish speaker that we had. Um, but I mean, Tyler and I talked about this, you know, after we hung up with him. Uh, you know, there, there's a good chunk of the game. You know, a forty percent, maybe. You know, maybe it's one third, maybe it's thirty three percent, whatever, coming from Latin American countries, and we don't want to ignore those those guys who have different stories. I mean. As we brought up in the Oscar discussion, you know, Mankata's story is is fascinating, and there are so many guys with stories like that. Um, you know, you heard Willie talk about, you know, you have to stick around complexes, and it's it's so competitive to get signed, and that's all you're looking to do, but you're also still trying to have fun, and those are the stories we kind of want to tell. So if there's somebody in your favorite organization or some other story that you've heard that you want kind of told on the podcast, a, a voice that you don't think uh is is necessarily heard in this type of format that we can kind of make happen we'd love to make it happen uh if you're a club that has somebody like that we'd love to talk to those guys um because you know i think we we do a pretty good job of getting interesting interviews on here and hearing notable guys but you know we want to make it a podcast that's uh not only representative of the prospect landscape but of baseball as a whole uh and if you know we can do a better job of that we'd love to hear people about how we can um so it's it's it our you know heartfelt thanks out to Willie for joining us um you know I think he did a really good job you can't necessarily tell that he's not a native speaker um but just know it, you know now that you've listened to that interview um just what that's like in his head uh trying to speak his second language on on a in a format like this it's it's no easy task and he handled it as well as anybody can be expected to Willie is uh, a pretty bright star in the race system. That's an organization that has known how to develop them for some time. But, um, you know, beyond just being a guy who embraces his leadership role and dives into learning English and, and understands what is expected of him as a player, you know, to go out and, and work out with Chris Archer over the offseason, a guy who has been lauded for his leadership qualities, for his personality, for the way he's been brilliant as a TV analyst uh, for the postseason over the last couple of years. That's really cool. And if I'm a Rays fan, that shows me this kid's only 21. He was only in double A last year, but he is ready for the big time as far as the mental side of his game goes. And that's huge stuff for the Rays because that division is not going to get any easier to compete in. And they need guys like that to really step up. And Willie Adamas is on that list. Uh, so with that, we'll put the uh, put the wraps on episode number 98 of the show before the show. As Sam said, if you do have a prospect that you think is uh, worth us covering, worth us talking to, get in touch. Podcast at MILB.com. Sam's on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykes or MILB. I am at Tyler Mon. You can tweet us there. And, uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll as we get closer and closer to the season, we'll start putting together our list of guys that, um, you know, we're going to talk about in camp, uh, talk to in camp when Sam heads to Florida and I head to Arizona. And, uh, man, this is, a, this is a fun time of year. Yeah, and, and this time next week we'll have even more actual games to talk about. I think a lot are coming down the pipe on Friday uh, beyond just your, you know, big league team faces local college for opportunity that, you know, for the college kids, that they'll never forget it. But uh, for us, it's, it's not quite as interesting. So uh, by the time we talk to you next week, I'm sure we'll actually be breaking down uh, who has impressed us in the first slate of games, which is just really, gosh darn exciting. Finally here, episode 98, wrapping up. He's Sam. I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you next week.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. 